Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. My name is uh, Pastor Frank. I am, I'd like to say I'm the senior pastor, but when I say that, it just means that I'm the oldest. <laughs> Nothing else that goes along with that. Um, today I, I want to... Take a look at Daniel chapter 1. So if you want to open your phones, 20 years ago we would have said if you want to open your Bibles, now we just say open your phones. And uh, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1. And uh, as we get ready to look at Daniel chapter 1 today, I want to talk about competing worldviews as well as challenge us to dare to be different in the world that we live so before we start that, I wanted to start with a contest, a few things just to kind of get us into this a little bit more. And if we can put up the first picture. All right. So um, this is actually kind of like a contest, and the contest goes this way. As uh, you can see the picture here, I'm going to ask you what this picture is connected with and what does it mean? What is this picture connected with? And what does it mean? And if you get it right, I have two Starbucks gift cards for the person who gets it right. Uh, They are working cards. I think they're $5 each. I don't go to Starbucks, but I think $5 isn't enough to get a coffee anymore at Starbucks. So I'm giving you two so you get a little extra something earlier. All right, so anybody want to take a shot at what this is? I have a hand raised in back, right? Was I... Shout it out. Okay, we'll pass. Okay, nobody? Anybody like over 30? Okay, the the initials are SS. Does that help you? (laughs) No, that doesn't help at all. Okay, so this is a... What did you guess? Did you guess Sesame Street? Yeah, that's from Sesame Street. That was a very good guess. That's Sesame Street guess. And now, does anyone know what this actually is now when you see that from Sesame Street? Anybody want a second guess? You don't get any prize because she already won, but what do you want to guess? Did you say one of these things don't go together? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So when you're looking at this, what you have is you see difference. There's a difference. Now, does anybody want to... Okay, this is not part of the contest. You don't get any prize for it. But what is different about this? Anyone want to guess? Patty, you look surprised. They're like, are you going to guess the blue balloon? Yeah, you did. Perfect. Excellent. You guessed the blue. That is what is different. And today I want to talk about daring to be different because to me, I, I think it's really important today when we enter into our world with a perspective that is a Christian perspective that we live in. So I'm going to go one step further, and I need uh, four volunteers. I need one adult and uh, three SEEDS students. So uh, anyone, just raise your hand. Okay, we're coming back up. Come on, come on up. If you're a SEEDS student, promise I will not embarrass anybody, hopefully. Come on up. I got one. Gonna try two, two. I got two. Need a th- I got a third coming down. All right, all, we got, come on, come on down. All right, now I need one adult. Don't make me pick somebody. 
We can stand here. That's fine. Let's stand here. Let's stand here. On this side here. You know, we, I can take four. Haley, come on up. Haley, I, well, I'll take four. But I need an adult. So hopefully, you know, someone will volunteer. Otherwise, if you're sitting in the front row, you're not really going to get much. You're going to be voluntold. Okay, Drew, thank you. All right, I love it. Appreciate that. Uh, by the way, this is for your daughter for guessing Sesame Street and uh, getting that right. Okay. All right, so uh, let's stand up. Let's line up. Oh, no, no, you're not going to preach yet, sister. That's, uh, that's in the future. That's when we have women elders about a few months from now. Okay, come on down. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or anything. Just come on down. Okay, well, I just come on, my sister. All right. So now, uh, what do we have before here? We can see we have four seed students and Drew. So I'm going to let you uh, tell me what do you see are some differences here with this group that is before us. Don't include me. Okay? Go ahead. So ask some, shout something out. Okay. Well, okay, yes. <laughs> uh, what adult? Which one of you is the one adult? Uh, I'm just kidding. All right. We have one adult and four seed students. What else? Height difference. Yes. How tall are you? Five eight. Five eight. So... We have someone over, let's say, five, six and above, and everyone else is five, six and below. Okay? What else? You're seven? No, we're talking about height. You're not, you're not seven feet tall. If you were seven feet tall, bro, I'm, I'm on your bandwagon for basketball in the future. Anything else? Glasses. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, one has glasses. You're different because you have glasses. And none of you have glasses. And may you not get glasses until you're 80. Okay? Oh, you have glasses? Oh, a little early. Sorry. Okay. Uh, what else? One or two more? Age. Ooh. Uh, you're about, what, 25, 26? Yes? All right. And then everyone else is, you're all under 15? Okay, all right. So there's age difference. We've got age difference, height difference. Status in life? Husband, father, married. Any of you guys married? Okay. You're married? Uh Uh-oh, I'm going to have to talk to your parents later on. Okay. Uh, One other one before we go on. Pants. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, you're the only one wearing pants. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, that guy back there looks just like you, right? Where'd Joe Juan go? Same thing here. All right. Well, take a seat. Thank you. Sorry, no gift cards, but thank you for helping. Appreciate that. What we, what we have there and what I want you to see is a lot of differences. And in sometimes and in some ways, it's okay to be different. One person is not better because they're different. It's just people are different. And that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at Daniel chapter 1. And uh, what I want to start out with is kind of like the situation. What's actually happening here in Daniel chapter 1? So as you're looking at your phones, and I'm looking at the Bible here, let's just read the first three verses, and then I'll share a little bit about it, and then we'll move on. It says this in verse 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah. Now, I know if you're Korean, you're thinking this is a Korean name, right? Jehoiakim? Okay, moving on. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and prohibited him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. The king then ordered 
Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. So here's kind of the beginning of the situation. Judah, the southern kingdom, has been living in disobedience towards God. And God warned them, listen, if you don't get it all straightened out, I'm going to have to come and settle this business that needs to be taken care of. And so they didn't, and Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he besieges the city, and ultimately is victorious as he enters the city and conquers it. Now, in the midst of all of this, what he does is, he goes into the temple of God, and he takes some of the stuff that's there, some of the good stuff, the golden cups and whatever else that he took, and he takes it with him. Now, there's a reason why he did that. Back in those days when you were a conquering king and you wanted to show that your God was more powerful than somebody else's God, what you would do is you would take the other God's stuff after you'd conquered those people and you could basically say, hey, listen, your God is not so great. If your God was so great, then I wouldn't be holding this as a conqueror. Instead, I would be conquered. So I just want to let you know your God is no good. He has no power. He is weak. So from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, what he's trying to tell Israel and Judah is this. Your God has abandoned you. Your God has left you. And maybe even quite possibly, your God doesn't even really exist. And if he does, he's not very powerful. So basically, after conquering their capital city, he takes their goods as a slap in the face, in essence. What he's basically saying is, you're... You're conquered, man. It's over. I, I, I am totally superior. My God is superior, and I want you to understand that. And he is so arrogant in some ways that when they get back to Babylonia, he says, listen, now what we want to do, because our God is so great, we want to teach these young Israelite men how to be Chaldeans. So that's part of our story, but then it moves on. Verses 4 through 7 read this way. This is what the king says. He says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into royal service. You have Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were the four young men that were chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So what you have here as the situation moves on is in order to get a cultural perspective ingrained into these young men, what you would do when you were a conquering army is you would take the kids. And this is really important for us. We focus on the kids because they're easier to train. How many of you over 40 would say that you're set in your ways? Right? This is the way we do it, man. If you don't like it, doesn't matter to me. This is what we're going to do. This is how I do it. But little kids are very open to all kinds of ideas and changes and and movement. Sometimes, as an older generation, when we look at the generation, we go, man, that would never pass in our day. But these days, because they're young, they're more open. They're more willing to listen. And so 
Nebuchadnezzar very wisely as a strategist says, let's work with the younger crowd. And the age is probably about 14 years of age. So this is a good time to invest Babylonian culture into these young Jewish Israelite men in order to turn them into Chaldeans. Not for them to stay Jewish, but to become Chaldeans. What he's trying to do is get his perspective in such a way that he is going to change these young men so that three years from now, their thinking is not Jewish, it's Chaldean. And how's he going to do that? He's going to educate them. He's going to teach them the ways of the world. He's going to teach them the language and literature of the land. He's going to give them the good food rather than the cheap food, but he's going to give them the good food because he wants to, in a sense, get them to be obligated to him and all the kindness that he's expressed. Because basically what he's saying is, listen, here's the good stuff. You can have the bad stuff and be impoverished, but have this good stuff and then remember how much I have given you. Have we ever done that as parents? Like you give your kids something, and what do you expect? You expect them to act nice. And what happens when they don't? Have you ever been like me as a parent when you go, look at all the things I did for you today, and you're still complaining? Am I the only parent like that? Any amens out there? Right? Isn't that true? That's what happens. But see, Nebuchadnezzar, he, what he's trying to do is just to get on their good side, to get them to a place where they go, look at all of the things that we have. We are educated. We are well-fed. We have so many. And then they change their names. And if you look at the change of names, it's from Hebrew names based on God, Jehovah, over to Babylonian God-type names. And so he's gone through this whole thing of re-educating because in the end, the bottom line, the plan is to make sure that these four young men, at least, because in the group there's probably 50 to 75 from what they say, but he wants these four young men to be Chaldeans. There is a worldview There is a perspective war that is actually going on here. And so when we see all this, Nebuchadnezzar has a very straight-up plan. There's no, like, what is he trying to do? No, we know what he's trying to do. He's trying to change these people. Now, compromise can be a good thing, right? Can you think in areas of your life where compromise is good? Just to interact with me, throw out some areas in which compromise is good. Marriage, definitely marriage, right? You have to compromise when you're in marriage. Excellent, very good. What else? Did you say politics? Yeah, politics would be a good area where there is a necessity for compromise. Otherwise, what we end up with is polarization and hatred and conflict when there's an unwilling for us, unwillingness for us to come together and work together. You may not get everything that you want, but there's no way we can swing too far left or too far right without even more conflict. So politics, marriage, anything else? And those are two really big ones, right? Life in general, compromise can be a good thing. But then we look at Daniel, and we see Daniel in this instance does not believe that compromise is a good thing because I believe even at the young age of 14, This teenage boy and his three friends understand that what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do is to isolate them, indoctrinate them, 
and get them to compromise what they believe. What is his response? If we look at verse 8, this is what Daniel does. But Daniel was determined, resolved, purposeful, not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. What you have here is that Daniel has dared to be different. If we put Daniel up here and his friends in a crowd, you would have these four 14-year-old young men who say, we will not do and eat the king's food. The reason we will not eat the king's food, because it's defiled to us. When God looks at that, he sees that this food has been sacrificed to other gods. We do not believe in those gods. We will not worship those gods. We will not serve those gods. We dare to be different. The other 46 to 71, whatever the actual number is, say, we don't care. We're going to eat the good stuff. Now, let me kind of give you an illustration of how this might work. So can I, actually, can I get four, not the same four, four seed students to come back up here and give us a little bit of an illustration of this? So four different seed students, not the same ones. Don't race up here. This is not an altar call. You do not have to give your life or your first son in birth. Anybody? Four. Uh, well, not the same ones, not the same ones. If we've got a different one, come on up. Okay, we got, oh, no. Come on up, come on up. That's one. I can count, there's one. Here we go, Nathan's two. All right, that's great. Oh, here, oh we'll, go, we'll go with five. That's fine. We'll just pretend you're the guy that was in the fire. All right, come on. That's later on in Daniel. All kinds of Daniel stuff. Here, let's line up again. Let's line up. Let's line, let, line, okay, how about me, like in school? Line up on this old guy. Red line, how about the red line? Red line, there we go. Well, it kind of goes off on the side there. Well, whatever. Okay, good enough. You're good. Okay, now, what I need from you are 40 adults to stand up, and then I'm going to tell you what to say. So 40 adults, if you want to stand up, just stand up, everybody. I don't care. You can all stand up at this matter. Okay? And uh, what I want you to do, and listen, kids, don't take this personally. Okay? Nothing to do personally. But I want you to tell them to stop believing in God. Okay? Yes, I am doing this. So I want you just to kind of understand the pressure. This is the pressure that they're under. So on the count of three, shout as loud as you can to tell them to stop believing in God. One, two, three. I'm sorry. I'm, I can't hear y'all. I'm a little louder. One, two, three. And that's kind of what Daniel and his friends are. Oh, you can sit down now. And you guys can sit down too. You did great. Don't listen to them. Always keep believing in God. That's what the story is telling us. So that's got to be pretty courageous because look how young they are. And y'all are intimidating. Brother Mo here, man, you're like, what, 6'4"? And some of these guys are like three foot six, And you're like, stop believing. Okay, I'm with you, bro. It's good, right? That's the pressure that they're under to understand that what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do is to change their worldview, to change their perspective, to change the way they think, feel, love, believe, live everything so that they would be Chaldean. And this young upstart says, no, I will dare to be different. 
someone must have trained these four kids really well to help them understand that when God called Israel out of Egypt, he called them to a different lifestyle. He called them to a different worldview. He called them to a different perspective. God had detailed the way that they were supposed to live, the way they dressed, the way they ate, the way they believed, the way they worshipped. And now this conquering Nebuchadnezzar says, you are no longer to believe that. What you are to believe is what I believe, because it's pretty obvious that my God is stronger than your God because I conquered your capital city. And in the midst of all of that, Daniel says, I don't think so, and neither do my friends. We will not submit to this. The challenge is, dare to be different The big idea is it takes courage to be different. It takes a lot of courage to be different. And not just in Daniel's time, but also in our time. It takes a lot of courage today in northwest suburban Chicago to actually make some stands to follow after Jesus. Here's what I mean. And I'd like to start a conversation with this. And when I say this, I want you to understand I'm starting a conversation because I'm going to raise what I think is an issue, but I'm not necessarily sure I have all the answers to solve the problem. Will we dare to be different? Let's think about youth activities. How many of you have kids who are either in soccer, tennis, volleyball, or whatever. Just, you don't have to raise your hands. It's just in your head. Is there not today a pressure by the society around us to play sports on Sunday? When I grew up, we never had that issue. Today, it is a huge issue. It's an issue, and I experience it as well. Uh, my daughter is on a dance team. Sometimes they have dance competitions on Sunday. I have never missed a Sunday for a dance competition because I send my wife, (laughs) right? If I was a single parent, I guarantee you, I do not have the courage to make the stand to be able to say, hey, we're not going. I chicken out. I'm going to be honest with you because I can say, listen, there's two of us and you can take her and everything is cool. My wife goes, but that doesn't mean that I am here because I am convinced that I'm going to do what's right in God's eyes. There's a lot of pressure for us. Now, let's think about this. When we look at society, when we look at culture, don't we want to be seen as loving people, not bigoted? The pressure to compromise. Who wants to be in that conversation when someone goes, well, you're not very loving. That hurts because we think we are. We want to be seen as relevant, not as out of touch. We don't want to be compared to someone who is, dare I say, Amish. And the mockery that they face because they're viewed towards uh, electricity. We want to be relevant. We also want to be seen as regular people, not troublemakers. And so when these things happen on Sundays, and we have to make a a choice between going to a tournament, a sports tournament, or some other event, our response is, man, I don't want to cause trouble. And in my perspective, what kind of teammate abandons their team in a tournament to go to church? Because today, 
Someone is trying to get us to think from a different perspective that it's okay that once in a while we can take a break from God. And that we can do these things with our kids with the sense that what we think we're teaching our kids is, and this makes sense, you can worship God anywhere at any time, right? Absolute truth. But there's something to be said about saying, hey, at this time, I'm going to dare to be different, and I'm going to make this choice. Is that easy? It is not. It is not easy. And I am blessed that I don't have to make that choice for myself personally, even though I have to make it for my family. So I just want to get that conversation started because there are so many things that we set up on Sundays that give us reason and excuse not to spend the time with God that we're supposed to, which is so unlike this 14-year-old teenage boy, ruined life, taken from his home, placed in another culture and told to do this in order to prosper. And he says, no, I will follow God and I will do what he wants me to do. Is that scary? It sure is. It's very scary. Try doing that some weekend when the coach says, hey, this is what we're doing. And to realize that your kid, who may be very skilled in this area, suddenly is told, you're not playing anymore. To look at your kid and to see your kid and say, mom and dad, why? It takes a lot of courage to be different to be in the workplace that you're in when people talk about issues that you know that God has an opinion on to be able to say, ooh, I think I'll just slip out the back door and not have this conversation or be a part of it. It takes courage to be different in the world that we live in. It's not just today. It's always been that way for those who follow Jesus. There is a perspective There's a worldview war that always exists when you bring God into it. And Daniel, in the midst of that, is willing to say, I will do what is right in God's eyes, even if it costs me. So the big idea, dare to be different. I want to challenge you to dare to be different wherever you are. Now, I know that when you're thinking, oh, does that mean I have to be weird? No, the challenge is dare to be different, not be weird. Because a lot of times, as Christians, we can be weird. and Say weird things and do weird things and say, I've done my job, I'm different. But I think Jesus calls us to be his ambassadors in a way that we are different while being loving, while being relevant, while being a peacemaker. Because being different doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be weird or awkward or even a troublemaker. It means basically to, with love, make a stand on the convictions that you have that this is what God has for me and my family and him is the one we will serve. So let me finish with this because I think there's an important lesson at the end of this too and it is this, it is God is faithful. God is faithful. But when you hear that, I think most of us will say, the reason we believe God is faithful in this story is because in the end, it worked out perfectly. 
Daniel made the stand to do what was right in God's eyes. They didn't eat the king's food that was sacrificed to idols. They had water, they had vegetables, and in 10 days they prospered more than anybody else. Cool. God is faithful. We forget, though, that's only part of the truth. The reason Daniel is in this place is because God is faithful. God spoke to the southern kingdom. God spoke to the northern kingdom. And he said, if you do not return to me, if you do not repent, I shall come. And God was faithful to his word. He came in the form of Nebuchadnezzar, his Babylonian army, and they conquered the southern kingdom. Because I think sometimes when we start to make these dare-to-be-different challenges, we think that God is faithful. And he is, and he will honor that. But we must also remember when we don't take that challenge, God is faithful. I was reflecting on the words of Jesus and how he says, if you obey my commands, I will reveal myself. I will reveal my love to you. So my question is this, as I try to land this plane, are you looking at life and you're feeling the dissonance that I sometimes myself feel because there's something that God is asking me to do and I'm not doing it? Are you feeling that feeling like there's just not something right and I don't understand why? And I would come back to this question. Have we, like Daniel said, you, God, are a loving God? There is no denying the fact that you love the world, everybody, no matter who they are. And yet, God, there's something about you that you are holy, you are separated, you are different. And Jesus says, that is the combination of who I am, love and holiness brought together. That yes, even in our failures, God is faithful. If we confess our sin, if we turn from our sin, he is faithful to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. That is the lesson of Daniel chapter 1. And the application then in the end is this. Here is the challenge for us who follow Jesus right now in this moment. Will we dare to be different for Jesus? Not just dare to be different, but dare to be different for Jesus. Will we do the things he asks us to do although no one else will see that as good. Say those things, believe those things, feel those things, even when it might hurt. For God is faithful. He calls us to him. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to obedience. And in the end, he calls us to experience him. Daniel experienced God. I I can only imagine what it would have been like for Daniel and his friends that this is only the beginning, dudes. Many other tests will come and see whether or not you are actually willing and daring to be different always. I think that's what God wants to speak, not just to our church, but to the American church. We have gone so far to please the world in order to be relevant that we have forgotten that we are really here to seek God. Let's pray.
Our Father, you are really, um, I think, amazing. I'm always amazed by your view of me. How you could see my heart, how you could see my thoughts, and yet still love me. How you could hear my voice when I respond to your ways in anger or disappointment, and yet you still love me. The ways I have treated people in ways that dishonor you, and yet you still love me. The ways I have refused to be courageous, to take a stand, to dare to be different, and yet you still love me. Over and over again, it is absolutely amazing that you are an amazing God, a God who is faithful, because even though you may look at that and see that, your call is still a call to return to you. Like Daniel, when we are faithful, you are faithful, you bless, you encourage, you strengthen. Daniel's experience here in chapter 1 will influence his story and his three friends' stories throughout the rest of the book of Daniel because they saw that you were faithful. But I don't think they forgot this one lesson, that you are faithful to your word 100%, that when you call us to return and we don't, we enter into the danger zone. And I pray for those of us here today maybe sitting on a fence or maybe already have begun to drift away from the shore of life. Or maybe some of us have even turned our backs on you because we are so angry and or disappointed with you. I pray, God, bring us back because you are faithful. Your love, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, overwhelming to those who will come and say we have wandered, we have strayed, we have sinned. God, you are faithful. May we leave here today recognizing you are faithful. And then may that knowledge of your faithfulness encourage us to be courageous. The same words that you said to Joshua when he was about to enter into the promised land. Be courageous. Be strong. Trust me. And I will take care of you. May we be like that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.